I think education has changed dramatically. Like since this has happened in March, right across the country, primary schools, secondary schools, and a third level as well, everybody is learning now remotely. Everyone is used to it. It's not ideal in, in many ways, but a lot of people have got used to it. And for a lot of people, it is very, very convenient. The Architects of Business with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Architects of Business, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, where you hear the inspirational stories of some of Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Sonia Lennon and I'm broadcasting remotely from my home at this time. On today's show, I speak with Peter and Una Kearns, the brother and sister duo who own and run one of Ireland's best-known schools, the Institute of Education on Leeson Street in Dublin. The business is busy responding to the challenge that is COVID, but at the same time, they're designing a reimagined future of education in Ireland. You're going to love this. If you haven't already done so, please click subscribe to get brand new shows into your feed. I am very pleased to be joined uh, in our remote studio today by Peter and Una Kearns, the brother and sister duo who own and run the Institute of Education. You are both so welcome. And what a time to be in education. What a time to be focused on the Leaving Cert. But before we dive into that, um, it would be lovely to kind of get a sense of of the beginning of this uh, wonderful business that you own and run. You weren't the first people who brought it to market. It is over 50 years old and was founded by your father. Una, can you tell us a little bit about the early days? Yes, so the the Institute, as you said, Sonia, um, was founded by uh, our father, Raymond Kearns, in 1969. So last year we did celebrate 50 years, which was was fantastic. Um, So it started, I suppose, from from fairly humble beginnings, um, renting a, a couple of rooms on Leeson Street, um, uh, on the opposite side of the road uh, where we are today um, and it just started with dad with himself was a maths teacher and he started giving a couple of uh, grinds in the evenings and Saturday mornings and things like that and then he hired other teachers uh, to give grinds in other subjects and, and it just kind of grew from there so very much um, kind of part-time courses and then years later it, it developed into more of a, a kind of a full-time day school so um, and what point did that happen at Una then so in 1969 we started the the part-time courses and then in 1979 was our first uh full-time day school for sixth year students and back then it was mainly uh repeat students who were coming to us and obviously th- things have changed and there's there's fewer people repeating now because there are more courses on offer but back then there were very few College colleges around, um, and it was really a, a rat race uh, to try and get you know the points to get in to do those kind of sought after uh, college courses. And Peter, what was that like then? I mean, first of all, it must have been um, very innovative to 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 be uh, opening a business like that at the time. Um, you're, you're still by far and away the market leader, but. As, as sort of um, children growing up in this environment, what was it like? Yeah, well, Dad, Dad is, is a very charismatic man. He's still, uh, he's, uh, still, he's cocooning at the moment. He's going to be celebrating his 90th year in November. Wow. Uh, yeah, and, he, and he's still very wow. much... Wow. I know, I know, it's phenomenal. 
Um, and mum, who's the young one, is a, is a few years behind him. Um, but uh, yeah, no, dad was always entrepreneurial. Um, and uh, and that combined with being an excellent um, uh, maths teacher as well. He, he saw the need and the demand and um, he just had a certain energy within him um, to pursue it. Um, and always believed in delivering the best and the best in education. Um, and he just delivered. Where, where did that come from, Peter, then? Like, it, it, did he inherit that from, from his own parents? Well, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, dad, dad came from very humble um, origins in Balhadrine. Um, you know, it was, it was a two bed house with nine children. Um, I think as soon as any of them could uh, leave home, they were kind of, sent that way I mean dad dad left home um at the age of about 15 and went to work on the railroad um so you can imagine something like that happening nowadays well it wouldn't happen the social services would be on in on top of it but he he went to work in the big bad world on the railroads at the age of 15 and he worked on the railroads up and down um uh, the, the line is the one that goes to Enfield and drum drum shambo and up around there up into Leitrim and he eventually ended up um making his way to working in the North Wall in Dublin. And he was working there as a clerk for CIE. Um, and he kind of had a, an epiphany and he said, this, this uh, life isn't really for me. He wanted to better his lot. He wanted to do better. And he studied at night, um, did his leaving cert and uh, matriculated and went on into college. But he had to work while he was in college to make the money. At that stage, getting to college Going into college was all about paying for the fees. So he had to work and uh, go to college and work at the same time to pay the fees. Um, and then when he was in college, um, I'd say he was he was quite a popular individual. Um, he got elected as the president of the Students' Council, which was a big thing back back then in, in the 50s. I'm pretty sure it still is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, like he, he had the, the get up and go to do that. Um, he got elected to that, and then <clears throat> following on from that, um, well, he tells a, he tells a great story about how he sent a letter off to the states, um, applying to the University of Pittsburgh for a scholarship, and he says that he is the president of the students' council. And of course, in the states, um, to be the president of anything is is a massive thing. And they were looking to recruit um, maths graduates because um, at that time the whole a uh, space program was taking off. The Russians had sent um, Like the Dog up into space um, and Sputnik and all that. And they were looking to recruit worldwide uh, good, good, good people in maths to come to the country and, and help them. So dad won the scholarship for the University of Pittsburgh. He goes over, he studies this new mathematics that was coming out. Um, he goes to Fordham University as well. Um, then he returns to Ireland with all this knowledge of this new mathematics syllabus had just changed he was one of the few teachers that knew it so he actually started off teaching teachers that was the very first thing that he did um and then the university of pittsburgh was um a, a jesuit university and um, he applied he was he first of all worked down in james street he was teaching down in james street but then he applied for a position in gonzaga college in dublin which um is, is a well-known school um yeah. and i guess that the jesuits um they, well, he, he got one of the Jesuit priests from the States to write a letter to the Jesuits in Dublin to say, Raymond, I know Raymond very well. He's a good guy. Uh, you can't go wrong with somebody like him. And he got the job. And then he, so suddenly he, he says that 
that was the day that he felt he had arrived. The boy from Balahadrine, who, as he sometimes says, didn't have an arse in his trousers, um, <laughs> suddenly has got the job as the senior mathematics teacher in Gonzaga College at this prestigious Amazing. Uh, Jesuitical Dublin school. And then he, he, yeah, he just kept, he kept on going and going and going. Um, then, Una, that's a hard act to follow, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that man is a movie, I think, your father. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and obviously had a very, very circuitous route um, to become the founder of the Institute of Education. Um, he's not the only one, though. Uh, I, I think both of you found your own way back into the family business. Am I right? Yes, um, I, I don't know if Peter always had aspirations to go in, but I know that wasn't really the plan for me. Um, I, you know, we both did our own thing and worked for other companies. Uh, and uh, what happened to me was dad had uh, basically said to me one summer, oh, would you come in and give us a dig out? They didn't have any kind of HR expertise at the time. I had, my background was in business and psychology, and then I'd gone on and worked in Bank of Ireland and Diageo. and then. And it was in HR that I was um, working. And uh, so I said, OK, for a couple of months, I'll go in and give you a dig out. And that was like 18 years ago. So, um, yeah, but it's fantastic. It's it's uh, challenging and rewarding. And, uh, you know, you never know what the knock in the door is going to be. And um, it's fantastic to be able to carry on that legacy that our dad, uh, you know, set up many years ago. And, um yeah, no regrets anyway. Uh, you know, increasingly, um, I, I am struck by the um, the power of working in uh, multinationals and bringing that back into your own family business. Um, you know, working for the likes of Diageo and bringing that thinking and that global thinking back in. Um, do you feel that that has had, um, you know, a big impact having that external knowledge? Absolutely. I think it is probably good if you can to, go and kind of fly the nest, uh, you know, for anyone that is thinking ultimately that they'd go into a family business, get that broader kind of wider experience. Um, and, you know, you're, you're able to come back and implement that into something that starts off with a couple of, a couple of employees, you know, that is mushroomed to 130 teachers and, and 70 non-teaching staff. So I don't think dad ever envisaged it to have grown to, to this extent. Um, and we have like over 100 thousand square feet uh, of, of of property that we're we're occupying for educational purposes around leasing so I, I don't think he ever saw it go from from where it was to where it is now and and definitely having that kind of broader knowledge uh you know just the the, the business background and um kind of the more Peter's background is, is finance um you know as well as the teaching experience that is there it, it is kind of invaluable to the business to help it grow. And Peter, tell us a little bit then about your journey back in, even if the seeds were always there, um, you, you obviously went further afield. Yeah, um, I, uh, I did a commerce degree. Um, actually, all, all, of, all of us in, in, the, in the house did the commerce degree. Um, and then um, I ended up somehow or other um, doing accountancy uh basically I, I went on the milk ground um i was actually doing uh, banking and finance in commerce but um i remember applying to the the big five or big six accountancy firms at the time uh, to get some interview experience um and i remember saying i like i definitely don't want to become an accountant um 
but I did the interviews and lo and behold, all the, all the banking people told me uh, to get stuffed. Uh, there was no jobs. Um, and all the accountancy firms said, we'll give you a job. So my mother said, you're going to take one of those jobs. I don't care. I said, I don't want to do accountancy. But anyway, I ended up um, doing a master's in accountancy in uh, Carysford. Uh, it was called the MAC. And then I went to KPMG. I did my apprenticeship in KPMG um, as an auditor. Um, and I always had a little bit of an interest in tax as well. It's always handy to know a little bit of tax. And then from there, I went to London and I worked in investment banking with um, uh, Merrill Lynch, um, who actually, after the, um, uh, the financial crisis, are no more. Um, people probably, young people probably don't even know that firm anymore, but they were big. Back it's then. okay. We get the reference, Peter. We yeah, get yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. And then um, dad, I remember dad came over to London um, to meet me and he said, you know, how are you getting on? I was having a good time, but you're working very long hours. And he said, any chance you might come back and give us a bit of a dig out. And, um, well, I suppose you always, you always have a grow and you always want to give back a little bit. Um, and he says, what are you doing? Like working, working like a dog here. And, um, if you come back to Ireland and you work in the family business, you're a master of your own destiny and you can go fishing and playing golf, you know, in the evening, whenever you want or whatever, and it'd be a great life. Peter, you must uh, have been able to to move pretty quickly to respond to the current crisis of COVID. Yeah, well, when when the COVID nineteen uh, crisis hit, well, we first of all we could see kind of the storm clouds on the horizon. We were seeing what was happening in Italy, um, and we we knew it was coming this way. So immediately, what we did was we said, okay, we need to to finish out the course as quickly as possible. We stopped all. Um, sort of exams that we were doing and we just aimed to get as much tuition uh, across to the to the students as was possible and we also started to plan um for a situation where there might be a lockdown we started bring putting in place um well first of all we got all the notes that needed to be printed before the end of the year we got them all printed we got them out to the students so at around St Patrick's weekend we brought in uh, camera crews and we got the teachers to come in and do their revision class in front of the cameras uh, so that we had it pre-recorded. And then we also uh, really brought forward all the printing. There's quite a lot of notes that are printed in connection with the the Easter revision courses. Um, Then what actually eventually happened with the Easter revision courses, Leo Faradkar in that famous uh, speech came in and said that we're having pretty much a full lockdown. Um, And then we had to really, really... Um, push the the recording. Um, we brought in a um, five five different camera crews working seven hour uh, shifts uh, each. So we're doing thirty five hours of um, filming a day. Plus they have to do the editing as well. So they were working all through the night um, editing all this material. Um, but we 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 got and then we also had to on the IT side put in place a structure so that I mean we had over three and a half thousand students enrolled on these courses so we had to um put in place a structure so that people could uh, view this and access it um and then when the full lockdown came into play our printing production got shut down and then we had to look at um how we're going to get this these notes printed and how we're going to logistically get them out to the students because those students were meant to have come uh, to the premises so um between on post dbd um, we we delivered the, the notes nationwide. 
is this going to change the way the Institute of Education does its business into the future? Oh, well, I think education has changed dramatically. Like since this has happened in March, right across the country, primary schools, secondary schools, and a third level as well, everybody is learning now remotely. Everyone is used to it. It's not ideal in, in many ways, but a lot of people have got used to it. And for a lot of people, it is very, very convenient. So there will be, I think, going forward, and, and also in September when, when things open up, there's talk about you know, um, a virtual learning environment as well. Um, and, and they're looking at that because it mightn't be possible with social distancing to have everybody in at the same time. Um, but I think people, and it's, it's this, this is not just with learning, but it's also just people and their work practices as well. But people have realized, you know, that, that by learning or doing, doing virtual um, activity at home, they cut out the commute. Um, yeah. They're able to stay at home. They're able to maybe look after their children, their lifestyle. So I, I wouldn't be surprised going forward if a blended approach is, is something that will happen. So we are in the process of actually developing products uh, for the new year and also for this summer. For example, for this summer, all the Gueltucks are cancelled. Nobody can go to France, Spain or Germany to study their modern languages like they normally would for three weeks or these exchange programs that they do. So that's all gone. So we are actually this summer looking at bringing um, the Gueltuck and uh, modern language courses virtually, also online, um, to to the, the students and parents um, in this country. And we're going to be delivering them sort of in, in one-week modules. So you can sign up, do a one-week course in French or a one-week course in German. And we're going to be rolling that out over the summer also. And they'll be like nine to five. And the, the approach that we're looking at is that, you know, there'll be a little bit of, there'll be, say, a half an hour of tuition, maybe um, a half an hour maybe of recorded tuition, half an hour of Q&A. <clears throat> then we might break for 10 minutes for, you know, coffee or a tea or whatever and um, because it is very intense as well learning off the screen so we're and learning that, that is one of the struggles isn't it that there's only very so intense. much oh my attention gosh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's a lot like i mean if you come off a zoom call um you're you're an hour of zoom call your brain is fried um, it's funny. I read I read a, a psychological report recently about the the sort of psychological dissonance of looking at people with different backgrounds. That your brain is actually scrambled <laughs> trying to make yeah. sense of it all, and you do feel a little bit washed out when you when you come off these calls. Yeah. Um, Peter and Una, um, so lovely to hear the background and where your business started. We're all in agreement that uh, what happens next is a new world order. We're going to talk. Um, uh, shortly after the break about uh, calculated grades and the future of your business. The Architects of Business with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. The reality, though, of, of a family business when the founder is still in the hot seat must have been quite tricky. Yeah, and dad, I suppose, is a, a big personality and uh, it was his baby, so... Yeah, he was reluctant to hand over the baton, as he said, to Peter and myself, probably thought we'd make a mess of it. Um, but, uh, you know, so initially in the first few days, for the first few years, um, dad was very much still involved and we would have had, you know, heated debates over certain things that we wanted to maybe introduce new changes. And um, he he probably won, won those debates because he is a very char- charismatic person. Um, and, and it was ultimately, uh, you know, his his baby, as I said. Um, that's that's the cost of charisma right there. 
was mine, exactly, yeah. But uh, then I think things obviously did move on and, and he did he did uh, hang up his boots eventually, but he's still very much a part of the Institute and uh, very much, you know, still a teacher at heart and the teachers really uh, loved that and could really relate to him. Um, so he's always very much still involved, asks after it and would come to the Christmas party and the end of year parties and things like that. So um, I'm sure he's intensely proud now when he sees what uh, you've both done and, and where you've brought the business. Peter, you, you I suppose, have um, a very personal experience of how uh, being a part of a family business can have a huge impact. Yeah, well, I was just I was just. Um saying to Oon earlier on um, the difference between working in a corporation, working in a family business. Um, there are things that happen in life, um, unforeseen eventualities. My, uh, my wife, who was Oona's uh, best friend, we were next door neighbours, um, passed away uh, two years ago and she was sick for, for three years prior to that with cancer. So <clears throat> when that happened, I had to step away from the business for, um, for, the three, for those three years and also for the year after she passed away. And Una was able to step in uh, to the breach and run the show. And there are certain attributes that you just um, probably can't can't get away with uh, if you're in a big multinational or a corporation. And they're one of the sort of the one of the the attributes that are really fantastic about a family business that it allows um, a certain amount of flexibility, um, a certain amount of um, empathy and compassion and understanding. Um, and also, as I was mentioning, I've I've three young girls. They're twelve, ten, and eight. And Una has girls, three girls as well, about the same age. And, and with that kind of brings certain challenges. And there's times when you, you want to be able to be with them. There's times when you want to go on holidays, um, summer holidays and that. And we're able to kind of work together and dovetail together to make sure that we have a good um, sort of lifestyle balance between, between work and, and looking after the family. Um, and I think that's something else that comes with the family business. So there are, there are pros and cons but I think definitely the pros outweigh the cons. You're also working together um, and, and that's something very, very special. So it's not just about, you know, making a few quid. It's about producing something, something special together um, in a family and leaving a legacy as well. It's, a, it's amazing, you know, and I, I see increasingly, um, you know, that that humanity that flows through your business is is so powerful. Um, and I see a lot of a lot of multinationals and corporations now really trying to find ways to, to connect that into the business. But when it comes naturally through a family un, unit, it's it's wonderful to see. Yeah. Um, Una, I, I suppose we, we, we can't have this in, interview without talking about the reality of the landscape of the Leaving Cert. The Leaving Cert is you know, a, a massive part of your business um, and other state exams, obviously. But I, I suppose, how, how how do you approach as a business? I might just jump in here, Sonia, sorry. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's really important to, to recognise that th- there's a draft set of guidelines that were brought out by the Department of Education um, and the Minister in a special task force last week. Um, and um, earlier on this week in the Dáil, um, Minister McHugh has come out and said, that there's going to be further clarification guidelines brought out because I think that was very much an initial draft. So I, I think at this stage, even to speculate on the, the framework and the format um, is slightly premature because it's changing and it's so fluid at the moment. We, we really have to wait until there's sort of a definitive guideline brought out. <clears throat> we, could, we could speculate now on what we think is going to be the case, but that could be completely overturned in, in 24 hours. 
that those guidelines um, that they're um, promising uh, is next week. So <clears throat> I suppose from a timeline point of view, that's going to push out um, whatever process is going to get done uh, into the future. Um, but I think um, to, to try and interpret a draft set of guidelines now would yeah. be speculative well I suppose Peter if if we zoom out then and without getting into the nuts and bolts of it uh, even at this broad base what what is the biggest challenge that you face in in the Institute of Education for ourselves well I suppose we we now um, have to over it, it looks like if, if, if we're going down the, the, the road of um, calculated or predictive grades um, I, I suppose a task that was previously done by the state, was done by the Department of Education now has to get done by schools and that brings teachers and the principals into the equation so previously where you taught someone a subject and they went and they did a state state exam and the state went and looked at giving a grade to that student that onus and that task of producing that grade is now being having to be done by individual schools and then which in, is another in, whole business being dropped in on top of your business I, I, it is, and and to be honest, uh, it, 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 there's it, it requires a certain a certain skill. This the, the, this form of assessment. However, um, on on looking at the guidelines, um, we're we're up to the challenge, and we'll be able to fulfil uh, the tasks as they've been laid out in the guidelines. Um, however, it is it is going to bring a certain body of work um, that we hadn't previously anticipated. Um, it's going to bring the teachers in. And you've got to remember, these teachers, uh, our teachers, uh, if I can talk about my old teachers, our teachers have been teaching uh, virtually since March. And we all know how intensive it is to, to deliver any work over, over the internet. They, we have been delivering 1,600 classes a week. These teachers have been working flat out uh, from, the, from their home with all the various different um, difficulties that, that go with working from home. They weren't, they weren't planning this. They weren't used to this. A lot of them would have families. Um, so they have worked incredibly hard and have delivered this product. And now they're coming to the end of the year. Normally, they'd be planning their summer holidays, um, especially after having had to do so much extra work. Um, they were probably looking at, you know, enjoying their summer. And now on top of that, they're being asked to now conduct this extra, extra task and extra piece of work. So I really do feel, feel for the teachers yeah. in this. Uh, right across the country, not not just in our own school, right across the country, yeah. teachers are being asked to do some, and and also to bear in mind, they're being asked to grade um, uh, students, uh, and and the, 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 the that brings a, a serious uh, element of psychology to it. Um, they're being asked, and and whether you like it or not, that there's going to be sleepless nights um, if they feel they may have given a grade or not given a grade, and that person's career may uh, go a different path because. Of, that that has suddenly suddenly a, um, a decision that was taken by the state is now being taken by teachers and principals right across the country. So that'll bring uh, 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 an element of stress. So Peter, um, what advice is there out there, or what advice can you give to the students and the families at this stage? Okay, well, up until now, it's been a long road. The students have worked very very hard up until now. There's been a lot of changing of goalposts, um, which has caused its own sense a certain amount of anxiety. Um, we are waiting to get clarification from the department and the minister, uh, waiting to find out what the, when there's going to be possibly a definitive date for a leaving cert. We mightn't even know that for some time. So there, there's a bit of a waiting game right now. And until 
We know um, what is going to be happening definitively. Everything else is speculation. I think the best advice I could give to students is right now, while we're in this low period until we find out what's going on, is to maybe put down the pens, to relax, take it easy. Um, it has been a very, very stressful uh, roller coaster ride since March. Um, and I think they've earned a bit of a break, to be honest. So I'd be saying to them, um, take it easy, go outside, kick a ball, Zoom your friends, hang out with your family, uh, switch off until we can find out what's going on. This, look, I think it's obvious with coronavirus and everything like that, this is going to be a bit of a long road. Um, and there's going to be many a twist and a turn. There, in the decision making, there's a lot of shifting sands. Things are changing. Um, we don't know whether we're going to get a second surge or not. If we get a second surge, everything gets shut down again. Maybe a, So there's this back and forth. And in that kind of environment, you can only work with what's in front of you and what you know. Right now, there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of unanswered questions. I would say, put the, put the, put the pen down, relax, take it easy. And when we have something in front of us where we can make um, you know, proper decisions, informed decisions, let's do that. But we don't have that information in front of us. So, so the T-shirt reads, Peter Curran says, put down the pen. For the, for so if you the say few- it... it- <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's rare enough for this one time. Normally, I'd be telling people to to buckle up and get ready for the next three weeks as we go into June. But right now, I'm saying take it easy, put the feet up, relax, don't worry until we know what's going to happen, until we have some information. And I also say, caveat: it's going to be a long road, and there's going to be there, there might be long periods of time where we don't know what's happening. And while we have that, make use of that time. Do not stress. Try and get yourself into a stress-free environment if that's possible at all. And what about Peter, the student who just, who just wants to sit the leave, leaving cert, who you know might be looking at sitting it next year? Yeah. Well, again, Sonia, just uh, just say next year is just um, it, that's that's a rumor mill that's going around. Um, I read that they're going to run the leaving cert as soon as is possible from a health perspective. Uh, within the health guidelines and who knows that could be it could be july it could be august it could be autumn it could be january we don't know but i wouldn't be surprised if it was sooner rather than later um but any there are there are students that have that have a love of their subject that have been studying this subject and they want to have their day in court they want to have that to, to 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 sit that exam and um uh I, I think if that's their choice and that, that's what they want to do, they should definitely do that. Obviously, there's been a bit of momentum building up to that exam now. I guess that they might lose a little bit of momentum right now until we know when there's going to be a leaving cert date. But as soon as we do have that date, um, we, the institute, will be putting in place courses to back up and support any student that wants to do that exam. And if they're in first year in college... Um, and they want to go and do uh, leaving certain one or two subjects, if it's after they've started college, we will be putting in place a course to support those students. And we'll also be supporting any of our existing students, but we'll also look to support external students as well, if any of them want to do the leaving cert. Um, but we'll know more about that. Yeah. And, and I suppose every, every crisis brings opportunity. Has, has this been a time for you to, to sort of envision a, a new reality for the Institute? Well, I think virtual learning is the new thing that's come out um, and a lot of people have taken to it. A lot of our teachers 
um, have for the first time ever been delivering courses. A lot of them have really enjoyed it and found it very, very uh, useful and a very useful tool. A lot of people um, can't get into us in the Institute on Leeson Street because of logistical reasons. We, were, we are going to be delivering our courses virtually and online um, nationwide. So uh, a lot of the teachers that we have with us, they're um, uh, authors of textbooks. They are experts in their fields. Um, they are examiners. They're involved in the examination process. Um, so whether you're in Mizzenhead or Malinhead or whether you're in Ranala or Tupper Curry, um, you will be able to access those students, uh, or sorry, access those teachers online virtually. And we're also ambitious uh, in our task, but we're looking at rolling out our day school as well virtually. So if you're not able to go to school for whatever reason, um, if, if, say, you have an underlying health condition and you're concerned about the, the, the virus or a family member or for whatever reason you can't go to school, and there's many, many reasons, uh, we're hoping that we'll be able to deliver a day school product online virtually uh, for our students. And Una, you know, there is a very clear sense of ambition from both of you um, that, you know, your dad started something, you've taken it to a completely different place. And, and now through this crisis, it can evolve and grow even, even more. How um, impactful was the, the Entrepreneur of the Year program um, on your thinking, I suppose, and on, on your vision for the future? Well, first of all, I suppose when we were invited to take part, we uh, we were honoured and, and felt privileged to be to be considered entrepreneurs. We always said we're not the entrepreneurs our father is, but you know, I suppose we have uh, adapted and brought in a lot of new changes. So, so we were very honoured and privileged to be part of it, and it has really, I suppose, helped us, um, you know, bouncing ideas off other people who were in the alumni. Um, and just seeing other success stories and other, you know, ideas and potential that, that's out there for growth in, in the education sector and in our own sector. And I suppose in, in the situation that we're in, every, every client has a silver lining. So we definitely are taking the positives and, and trying to look forward and use, you know, the opportunities of virtual learning in our, in our business to be able to reach the, the second level students across the country nationwide um, but being part of the entrepreneur of the year um, was was a fantastic experience and I suppose one will we'll never forget and, and it was fantastic having dad there also on the night of the, uh, the, the, in, the in City West when the awards night was on so it was lovely having a lot of teachers and staff and, uh, and mum and dad Una and Peter Kearns, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me on Architects of Business today. Um, it's been fabulous. I have uh, two junior cert, not junior cert, twins at home. So, uh, yes, I, I am a, certainly a peripheral stakeholder. I get the emails. Let's just put it that yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> thank brilliant. you so much. Lovely. We have, okay, by the way, we're, so we're doing a virtual open evening on Monday the 18th. Um, Great. For anyone that wants I'm to there. Join anyone wants to find out about our fourth year day school our fifth year day school or our sixth year day school uh so we're going see to be that's hosting. why you're on the big books P uh, uh, peter you're, you're get the plug in at the end <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening and watching architects of business made in partnership with ey entrepreneur of the year thanks to the whole team here at joe and of course to our entrepreneurs today peter and una kearns if you haven't already done so click subscribe to get new shows directly into your feed.
The Architects of Business, with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. 